Good morning, guys. Well, like Jen said, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Brian Legg. I'm part of our lead pastor team, and I'm glad that you guys are here this morning. I want to share another announcement with you before we get rolling into today's teaching. We've got some exciting things happening um, in two weeks, and we're going to be sending out more details over the next two weeks so you'll get more information about this. But in two weeks, on October 18th, we're going to be reopening TBA Kids on Sunday morning at the 9 a.m. service. And I want to walk you... Yes, absolutely. It's been a long time since our kids have been together, so we're excited to have them back together. I want to walk you through a few of the details this morning just to kind of give you a heads up and then be watching for social media and email and other ways that we'll get information out with more details. For right now, this is going to be in the 9 a.m. service only, and most of the decisions we're making around our kids right now honestly have to do with our volunteers who is available to work in kids, the kids' area for us, um, and then what their precautions need to be to be comfortable working back there. So 9 a.m. service only for right now. Um, the kids' area will be sanitized each week, so our volunteers will be coming in and cleaning up each week before they come in, making sure everything's good for them. We are going to be checking temperatures in our kids' area. I know we don't do that typically on Sunday morning, but for the kids' area, both our volunteers and the kids, we're going to do that. So just be prepared. If you come in and you're running a slight fever that day, we're going to ask you not to participate, not to be involved just for that day to make sure everybody stays safe. Um, our intent is to have all of our kids' areas open. So everything from the baby nursery all the way up through Treehouse, all of our kids being able to participate if we have a day where we don't have quite enough volunteers, somebody has gotten sick, whatever maybe has happened, and we have to adjust that a little bit, we're going to make some adjustments so the treehouse kids would be the first area we would shut down, and they would come into service with their parents because they're at an age where this is a great experience for them. They can participate in worship and sit and be a part of the service, and so that's the adjustment we would make. I don't really anticipate that happening. I'm just giving you a heads up. Um, if you are family, so you've been around church for a little bit, you know kind of how this works, we're going to ask you to please check your kids in at the kiosks out in the lobby. Both of those will be up and running. We're going to do our best to have some volunteers out there helping with that. But we want to reserve the check-in desk in the kids' area specifically for first-time guests who need some assistance getting checked in. That way we don't have a bottleneck there with people backing up, so make sure that you're doing that. Um, all of our volunteers and our treehouse kids only, so this is grades one through five, will be wearing a mask. We are not going to require that from our younger kids, much like what they're doing in the school system right now, so they should already be kind of familiar with that. Hand sanitizer will be available, of course. We have that all over the building. And then last but not least, again, just to make everybody feel comfortable with whatever crafts or activities, those kinds of things we're doing, um, they're planning ahead for that. And so those things will be individualized to the students instead of having multiple group things that they are sharing back and forth. So you look across that and you can see, obviously some things are a little bit different than what our TBA kids has typically looked like. And that's okay. But the one thing that has not changed in any of this is that God loves our kids. And we have an opportunity and a responsibility to serve our kids and show God's love to them. So if you or anybody you know might be interested in serving in kids' ministry, here's how you plug in. Either send an email to kids at tbachurch.com and just tell us you're interested. This is not locking you into something. Eric or somebody else will call and follow up with you, give you some information, talk to you about it, see where you would plug in and how to do that. The other piece, your digital connection card again, text that TBA Connect number, just text the word NEXT. It'll send you a link to pull up that connection card and then the prayer and comment section, just write TBA Kids or interested in TBA Kids, whatever makes sense to you, and we will follow up from, with you from there. And then last but not least that I wanna share with you this morning, and, and I wanna just reiterate what Jen said. It was exciting to see Greg here this morning. I know many of you have been praying for him and Avery is here as well. I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update on things with our family, and the big thing, I just wanted to personally say thank you to you. Um, 
I'm just telling you, over the last two weeks, you have no idea the way that you have loved on our family and the impact that that has had. It has just been refreshing, to say the least. Um, I, don't say, I don't think thank you is probably good enough, but I don't really know what else to say. You have showered um, our family, especially Avery, with cards and encouragement, and people have come to visit and just encourage her. And there's a picture of her from yesterday with a lot of the things that came around. I know Greg and, and Beth have had a very similar experience with people loving on them, and I pray that you will continue to do those things. But for me, I just have personally witnessed over the last two weeks what I've always thought about what the body of Christ should look like, the way we love on one another and care for one another. And so just a huge thank you for that. Um, some of you have been asking about Avery's surgery. Her surgery was successful. They removed her thyroid without any problems with the rest of her neck. Um, the surgeon did find some cancer cells in those um, uh, lymph nodes, and so that's not that unusual with this kind of cancer, but it also is concerning, of course, and so we have a follow-up this week with the endocrinologist, and we'll find out what those next steps and tests and things look like, and so we'll have more information soon. Right now, we're just kind of waiting and trusting and appreciate your continued prayers and support, and I know Greg and Beth do as well as they're walking this recovery journey, so thank you guys for doing that. All right, so this morning, we just completed week 39 of our F260 plan, and the week started off with several chapters in the book of Acts, and then it wrapped up the last two days walking us through the book of James, the entire book in two days. And that's really where I want us to focus our attention this morning. In fact, there's one particular verse that I want us to really hone in on today. It's just something I'm going to ask you to kind of meditate and let marinate in your heart as we walk through things. And it's from James chapter 4, verse 17. It says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Just blunt, plain, simple. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And this is a verse that really has become a guiding principle for my life. And I definitely don't get it right all the time. I don't follow this perfectly because I'm broken just like everybody else. But this is one of those verses I go back to all the time. It's a verse that I have written on the whiteboard above my desk so that I see it all the time. It's a verse that I've got in a notes section in my phone that I refer back to all the time to remind me. It is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And when you look at this verse in context, it's coming at the end of a passage, and in reality, what it's referring to very specifically is the idea of pride, and even more important, self-reliance. And we don't think about that as pride a lot of times, but it is. Being self-reliant, depending on ourselves for things, thinking we have it figured out or that we can figure it out. And it's challenging the reader to very humbly submit to God's plan for his life. And I think that can cover a lot of ground in thinking in our lives, can it? When you look at the whole book of James, the whole book is all about making it very clear what we should do in our Christian walk. It's taking all these things we've been taught and applying it to our lives, and it leaves us begging the question, are we doing that? Are we applying those things to our lives? Are we living it out? And James is really blunt about this very simple fact that you can't just read or you can't just hear God's word and do nothing with it. You have to apply it. You've got to do something with it. You've got to put it into practice and make it practical. Basically, we can't say what we believe, and we can't talk about our beliefs without putting them to practice, or we're just blowing smoke. In fact, many scholars have suggested that the book of James really is like a commentary on the teachings of Jesus, and I think that's a good way of thinking about it. Some have even gone as far as to say the book of James really is a commentary specifically on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' broad teaching in that sermon, he covers all these different things, and he lays all this stuff out to make you think about it, and James kind of comes behind him and goes, okay, you've heard all of these things, here's how you live it out. Here's what it looks like in your day-to-day -day life. Here's how you apply it. And here's one of the things that I find very interesting was his target audience. 
James was talking to the Jewish community that at this point is scattered abroad. They're all over the place. They're living among the Gentiles, those who do not know God or are far from God. And I think about that and I go, man, that sounds exactly like where we are today. We are called to be disciples of Christ in a world that is far from God, amongst people who don't know who God is, who don't walk in relationship with God, who don't have that same understanding. And as I think about the book of James, there are these, just being honest, there were, there's like key passages in James that I love, that I come back to all the time. And when we come to this point in F260, when we came here the last time, I think I got to talk about this. And I had like two or three stories that I went, I'm going to talk on one of these things because I love them. And I'd already picked it down, you know, like I've got three, my top three, and I'm trying to narrow it down to one. And as I'm praying, as I'm reading, I just felt like God kept coming back to me and going, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. I'm going, okay, well, what do you want me to talk about? And I kept hearing, I just want you to read the book of James. Just let my word speak. And, you know, that wasn't good enough for me because I'm stubborn. And so I remember even early one morning, I called Stivey and I called him because I knew he'd be the only one up this early. And so I, I'm calling him. I'm like, dude, I feel like God may be speaking to my heart. I don't know what's going on here. I'm trying to wrestle through all of this. And honestly, I was kind of expecting that he was going to come back and go, that's really stupid. You shouldn't do that. Just go ahead and speak on one of the other things. But he didn't. And so I had to keep praying about it and kind of wrestling with it. And that's where I've landed. God just brought, several back, several, brought me back several times to this idea of you need to read the book of James together as a community. And as I was thinking about that and pondering that this week, God brought several other verses to my mind that I've kind of been meditating on, and I want to share those with you this morning. The first is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. See, scripture is how God speaks to us. It's how he teaches us and trains us. And it's the thing that we have to turn to when we're measuring our lives and measuring our actions. It should have a central place in our lives, that daily reading of scripture but sadly, and Dave talked about this a few weeks ago, shared a lot of statistics with us, the percentages of people who are using the Bible daily are not only astronomically low, but they're continuing to drop, and especially during this most recent period of pandemic that we've all been walking through. See, according to the State of the Bible Survey, and this was done in partnership between Barna Research Group and the American Bible Society, between early 2019, so just last year, so early 2019 and early 2020, the percentage of U.S. adults using their Bible daily dropped from 14%, that number alone should scare you, it dropped from 14% to 9%. And that's an unprecedented drop in over 10 years that they've been doing this study. But by June of this year, after walking through this pandemic, that number dropped yet again to 8.5%. 
And I'm throwing a chart up there, and I know when you look at the chart, it kind of looks like something's climbing, and it's kind of hard to read the key because it's not big enough there at the bottom. But what's climbing is the number of people not using their Bibles, not people who are reading. Everything else you see is dropping. And the group that the study refers to as being Bible engaged, which means basically they say their choices and their relationships are shaped by the Bible, they ranked at 27.8% in January of this year, 2020. But by June of 2020, that number had dropped to 22.6%. That's over 5% drop in six months. Overall, only 22% of people surveyed said that they read their Bible multiple times a week. 35% said they never read their Bible. 60% said they read the Bible less than four times a year outside of church. Think about that. Less than four times a year. That's once a quarter they pick up their Bible. I think that explains a lot about the state of our world today. Everyone seems to be doing what is right in their own eyes, and that's a phrase, if you remember from Judges, when Israel was without a king and it seemed like the world was falling apart. See, TBA, if we're going to have an impact on the world around us, like our mission statement says, if we're going to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus and carry the gospel into the community and the world around us, it means we're going to have to be grounded in God's word. We're gonna to have to be daily looking to God's word and allowing it to impact us, not just reading it, but doing it, putting it into practice. So this morning I'm gonna do something I don't think I've ever done before as a pastor. And I'm gonna read the entire book of James this morning to you. And I'm not gonna teach anything about it because I don't need to. It speaks for itself. It speaks very clearly, but I do wanna challenge you on one thing. I wanna ask you to meditate on this one particular verse as we walk through it. James chapter four, verse 17. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And one last thing I'm gonna tell you about meditating on that verse before we jump into it. There's an author of a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. His name is Donald Whitney. And he says that one of the best ways to allow scripture to change us is to meditate on it. And he says that we should read big, basically read a big passage, read several chapters or a chapter or whatever that looks like, but then meditate small. Pick a verse, pick a phrase, something that stands out to you and, and really meditate on that. And the two easiest ways that you can meditate on that thing, one, pray the passage. So just pray whatever you're seeing with God. And the second thing, come up with an illustration. What would that look like in your life? How would that play out? What would it mean for you? So think about that and how you apply it. So I'm just gonna ask you to let James 4.17 roll around in your mind as you listen this morning as I read. And I'm gonna be reading from the message which if you're very familiar with that, the message is known as a paraphrase of scripture rather than a word-for-word -word translation, but it's theologically sound. It's in today's language, and it gives you really good understanding of what he's saying. And I'm just gonna warn you, you might wanna cover your toes because James is very blunt and very straightforward, and he will step on your toes as we walk through it. So if you've got the app on your phone, you wanna follow along, you're welcome. Or if you wanna just sit and listen, that's perfectly fine too. But listen to the words of the book of James and allow that verse just to kind of marinate as you do so. I, James, am a slave of God and the master Jesus, writing to the 12 tribes scattered to the kingdom. Hello. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. 
People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. When the down-and-outers get a break, cheer. And when the arrogant rich are brought down to size, cheer. Prosperity is as short-lived as a wildflower, so don't ever count on it. You know that as soon as the sun rises, pouring down its scorching heat, the flower withers. Its petals will wilt. And before you know it, that beautiful face is a barren stem. Well, that's a picture of the prosperous life. At the very moment everyone is looking on in admiration, it fades away to nothing. Anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons, loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. Don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil, and he puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby, sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. A real killer. So my very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out from heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There's nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. Post this at all the intersections, dear friends. I think he's telling us, listen to this. Post this at all the intersections, dear friends. Lead with your ears. Follow up with your tongue. And let anger straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger. So throw all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain but a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in the action. Anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plot and guard against corruption from the godless world. My dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him and you say to the man in the suit, sit here, sir, this is the best seat in the house. And either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back row. Haven't, you, haven't at that point you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? Listen, dear friends, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently he chose the world's down and out as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. This kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God. And here you are abusing these same citizens. Isn't it the high and the mighty who exploit you? 
who use the courts to rob you blind? Aren't they the ones who scorn the new name Christian that's used in your baptisms? You do well when you complete the royal rule of the scriptures. Love others as you love yourself. But if you play up to these so-called important people, you go against the rule and you stand convicted by it. You can't pick and choose in these things, specializing in keeping one or two things in God's law and then ignoring the others. The same God who said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. If you don't commit adultery but you go ahead and murder, do you think that your non-adultery will cancel out your murder? No, you're a murderer, period. Talk and act like a person expecting to be judged by the rule that sets us free. For if you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly expect to be treated kindly. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved and say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith, and I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together, hand and glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you'd done something wonderful? That's just great. I mean, demons do that, but what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners, that faith expresses itself in works? That the works are works of faith. The full meaning of believe in the scripture sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his action. It's that weave of believing and acting that God Abraham named God's friend. Is it not evident that a person is made right with God, not by a barren faith, but by faith fruitful in works? The same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing? That's what counted with God. The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, you get the same thing, a corpse. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. He likes that word perfect there, doesn't he? A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. 
This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild. It's a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. And with the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal coming, animal cunning, devilish plotting. Wherever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at others' throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and risk and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God in his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner, inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom. Cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Don't badmouth each other, friends. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring the message, not writing graffiti all over it. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others? And now I have a word for you who brashly announce today, at latest tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business and make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, 
we'll do this or that. As it is, you're full of your grandiose selves. All such vaunting and self-importance is evil. In fact, and here's our key verse, in fact, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, that for you is evil. And a final word to you arrogant rich. Take some lessons and lament. You'll need buckets for the tears when the crash comes upon you. Your money is corrupt and your fine clothes stink. Your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut, destroying your life from within. You thought you were piling up wealth. What you've piled up is judgment. All the workers you've exploited and cheated cry out for judgment. The groans of the workers you used and abused are a roar in the ears of the master avenger. You've looted the earth and lived it up. But all you'll have to show for it is a fatter than usual corpse. In fact, what you've done is condemn and murder perfectly good persons who stand there and take it. Meanwhile, friends, wait patiently for the master's arrival. You see farmers do this all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow but sure work. Be patient like that. Stay steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. Friends, don't complain about each other. A far greater complaint could be lodged against you. You know. The judge is standing just around the corner. Take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything, went through everything, and never once quit, all the time honoring God. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power, and you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares. Cares right down to the last detail. And since you know that he cares, let your language show it. Don't add words like, I swear to God, to your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way your language can't be used against you. Are you hurting? Pray. You feel great. Sing. Are you sick? Call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the master. Believing prayer will heal you and Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven inside and out. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, for instance, human just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain, and it did. The showers came, and everything started growing again. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. May the reading of God's word be blessed and not return void. Band, you guys come on up. So I know this is a little bit different as you just listened to God's word this morning. And I don't know what you may be feeling or experiencing right now, but I know that these words have been powerful in my own heart this week. I've read through the book of James a bunch of times now, and every time it seems like something else I pick up. 
And so I don't know what you may need to do to respond this morning. And it's really not for me to know. This is between you and God. But I would ask you to come back to this verse and think about it. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. God's word never returns void. And I guarantee there's something that was said in the book of James is speaking to your heart. And it was interesting even talking to people after first service, one who talked about, man, chapter two, that was, that was really something. That said something in my heart. And somebody else, chapter four, that was really speaking to me. Or it, it's all different things for different ones of us. But as you read through that book, there's something in there for wherever we are in life. He's very broad in his teaching and application of that, of what that looks like in whatever we're going through. It doesn't matter how hard, how easy, how good, how bad. There's something that resonates. So what is that? What's God speaking to you? And I have two challenges to you this morning. One, be obedient. Don't let these simply be words that you've heard or words that you've read. Maybe you read along with me. But let them be a call to action, a call to do something with it. And the second thing that I'm going to challenge you with is if you're not daily in God's word, get there. If you're not in it, get there. We've done this F260 intentionally. I know some of you are going, oh, I did it the first time. I don't need to do it again. Yeah, you do. You need to do it again and again and again and again and again because we need to constantly be in God's word, taking that in and allowing him to speak to us like that. So if you've fallen off the wagon, it's okay. There's no condemnation. I'm not going to bust your chops for it, but get back on. We're starting into week 40 this week. Day 196 starts tomorrow. Pick it up and go with it. Finish it out. Finish strong through the end of the year and see how God changes your heart and the way you respond to people because of what he's saying to you through his word. Allow his word to take root in your heart and not just be something that you hear. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me this morning. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come and lead us in worship. And then I want you just to respond however God's leading you, whatever that looks like. Maybe you need to come down front and pray, just you and God, spend some time. That's okay, do that. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. Tim and Joni are back here at Next Steps. I'll be back there. We'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you. Come back and let us pray with you. Maybe like James was talking about at the end, you need to confess sin to someone. Maybe you need to go find a good friend and confess something that's been just eating at you for who knows how long and share that and get it off your chest and deal with it and start finding some healing. Maybe you're going through a tough season. You just need somebody to pray over you. Find that person. Let them pray over you. Whatever God's speaking to your heart, respond in obedience to that. Let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll sing together. God, we just thank you that your word is alive and active, that it is constantly speaking to our hearts. God, that is constantly convicting us when we're outside of your will, when we're not following the law that you've set there for our protection. But God, it's also loving and encouraging us in, in moments where we're walking in your will. And it's, it's helping us to understand your heart and helping us to understand who you are, your character, your very nature. It's that primary tool through which you speak. God, help us not to make light of that, but rather help us to see the importance of spending that time in your word and spending that time in communion with you to take that time to meditate on your scripture, to pray those things back to you, to think about how that applies in our lives, to put that into practice. God, help us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. God, whatever we need right now, speak to our hearts. 
Well, the things are good and we just need to celebrate with reckless abandon and worship. That's amazing. Or maybe if we're going through a dark time or a tough season and you've used your word this morning to bust our chops and to show us some areas that we need to, to change, some areas that we need to, to make some changes in, do something different. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to step out in obedience in those things too. Speak to our hearts now. Let your Holy Spirit have reign in this place. We love you. Amen.